This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast with Alex Trateris, John Malika, and Ricey on the beat. Let's go. What's good, everyone? Alex Jeteris here with another Knicks episode of the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. And with me, as always, my buddy, my coach, my pal, the man with the plan, the one and only, the one and only, John Malika. But before we ask John how he's doing, guys, you know what it is. Got to give the national <laughs> usual call out for all you out there, wherever you Knicks fans and Jets fans are. If you listen to this podcast, we're available on all audio listening platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, Alexa, Stitcher, you name it. We are there. There. If you listen to us on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to give us a five-star rating. And if you listen to us on Apple, please make sure to leave a comment that helps oh so greatly. We're also on YouTube, so please make sure to subscribe. We're on Knicks, Jets, ETC, period. No one writes out, et cetera. That's just wild. Make sure to subscribe. Hit that notification bell. That way you know when a new episode drops. And when you watch a video, hit the like button. Leave a comment. We want to know what you want to say. Add to the conversation. We'll respond to you. It's all good. And while you're over there, we got another podcast, Winning Picks Weekly. John and video producer Greg usually go down the NFL slate, betting for NBA, betting for baseball. They don't do hockey. I don't know why, but they'll do betting for everything else. Golf, you name it. They got they got you covered. And then last and certainly not least, please make sure to follow us on all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you name it. We are there. John, how are you doing today, man? How you been? I'm good, man. I'm good. We broke some heat records uh, in New York City today. It was like 90 degrees. Uh you know, fake spring is here. We're, as everyone likes to talk about, I have hopium, man. I got all the hopium in the world right now. The Knicks are sitting okay right now. We, we, we got the lottery. We got some draft assets. We have some money. The Jets, the draft is coming up. Yankees, it's really early. So I, I, I'm, I'm living good, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. You know, I'm doing as well as it can be. It's raining out here in the bean town. So staying dry and inside, but Look, man, I'm not going to hold this guy off to the side any longer. We got a phenomenal guest with us today. Guys, You, if you're a Knicks fan, you you probably been reading this guy's work for the last 20 plus years, okay? He's been on the beat since, what, 1999? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. We got the one and only, the authority of the New York Knicks <laughs> and tennis from the New York Post, Mr. Mark Berman on the pod with us. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Alex, uh, John, thanks so much for ha- having me. Alex, I love your Westchester Knicks shirt, and I know you live in Boston. So have you been down to Bridgeport, Connecticut, to watch the Westchester Knicks in their temporary home? I have not been down to Bridgeport to go watch them, uh, unfortunately. But usually when I'm back home in uh, White Plains, I make sure to go attend a couple games. Always at the county center. You can find me there. I feel like a king, you know. Unlike MSG, where I have to spend hundreds of dollars, like it's been fifty dollars, sit courtside, go get a free meal up at the podium or on stage, and then go right back to go sit courtside and feel like I'm a king instead of having to go to the bleachers and then Madison Square Garden. Well, let's hope they're back at uh, the county center next season because I heard that the fan totals in Bridgeport uh, they weren't really drawing many fans, even though Miles McBride and Jericho Sims. Uh, we're lighting it up on some nights. That's a tough draw. Going out all the way out to Bridgeport, yeah. it's, it's a tough draw. I mean, you're talking about White Plains. You can hop on the Metro North. If you live in Harlem, that's about 20 minutes to express. 
Grand Central, 30, 40 minutes, you know, you're right there. Going up to Bridgeport, eh, even for my blood, I'm yeah. like, I love the guys that much. Got the shirt, got a pair. Of, I got a Westchester Knicks hat here too. Eh, it's a little right. much for me. It's a little much. <laughs> well, the, uh, I mean, Bridgeport is not the greatest city, but it must be Celtics country anyway out there, I would imagine. In Bridgeport, uh, there are not a lot of Knicks. Well, there's probably a good chunk of Knicks fans, but I'm sure they share the town with the Celtics. I'm sure. And even up here, like even in Boston, when the Knicks come up here and I saw you up here, Berman, I saw you up here this season uh, back in December. You were there covering the game. I saw you. I was not actually I was not too far from you uh, in, oh, in the man. stands. Um, but as you see, like Knicks fans show out in Boston, too. And there's a good amount of Knicks fans up here in Beantown. So I'm not too alone, but obviously it's just a <laughs> sea of green out here. But everyone shows out for the game. So that's a good thing. But I'm sure yeah, Bridgeport. Yeah. There's a nice uh, group of Knicks fans at uh, Celtic games, but I will say, I have to hand it, those Celtics fans are loud. That, that, is, that is a very loud arena. It is. doesn't get maybe as much credit as Oklahoma City, you know, but I'll tell you, they have a very nice uh, uh, crowd, and we'll see how the Brooklyn Nets uh, handle it, especially with Kyrie in town. For sure. That should be very interesting. Uh it's going to be a good matchup. And me being a New Yorker living out here, having to see both those teams just kills me. So it is what it is, though. <laughs> We're just room for game seven. <laughs> Honestly, if Robert Williams was there, I think the series would be a lot more fun. For but sure. it is it is exciting to see how how the defensive you know team goes against the really sloppy nets. I mean, they, they do have the best player in the NBA with Kevin Durant, and they have the most skilled point guard with Kyrie. But you got to see if Seth Curry's hurt. They're missing Harris. I, 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 don't, I don't know if they could put up with the Celtics. What do you think, Mark? Uh, I think it's going to be a long series. Uh, you know, this is Aduka's first uh, playoff series. It's different to coach in the playoffs. Steve Nash did well enough last season, but I, I don't know. It, it, they, they don't have the chemistry, obviously, and their defense has been terrible, and they don't have home court advantage. And if I had to pick it right now, I'd have to say the Celtics. I'm sure most uh, prognosticators are going with Boston. Look, look what Boston did. They got rid of Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, and they zoomed uh, near the top of the Eastern Conference. But I don't want to mention that. Well, you did already. So now we now now we can right, take it back. Now we're here. Now we can't take it back. Now we got to hop right into this. Can't take it back. So. Speaking about Kemba, speaking about Evan Fournier and everybody else that's part of this team, it's obviously a disappointing season uh, that we saw after a magical season that we had for the 2021 season. Let's just get your general takes, uh, Mark. What's your overall thoughts of the state of the Knicks as of right now, especially after this season? Well, what happened was uh, as magical as last season was, it was a little fluky. I wrote to it after the Atlanta series. Uh, once the garden filled up and once they were playing on the road in a hostile environment, the Knicks were a different team. It's funny because last season I was uh, made some road trips later in the season. And in Phoenix, uh, it was 8,000 fans. It was the most fans uh, to that point uh, of the regular season. And the Knicks absolutely wilted in that hostile environment in the fourth quarter. And I had a little epiphany. I was like, wow, I've been watching the Knicks in empty arenas, and they've been so solid in the fourth quarter. Here they are on the road in Phoenix, and the fans are going, it's Bedlam inside the arena, and the Knicks just rolled over. 
And from then on, I said, maybe some of this is a little fluky. And then Atlanta happened. But uh, the chemistry was not right all season. Uh, there was something going on with Julius, and we probably don't know exactly what it was, but his head was not right. I know he got rattled by the fact the fans turned on him early. I was surprised. I thought he had earned a lot more leeway. He had a, a rough start to the season with turnovers, and he wasn't shooting well for the three-point line. And all of a sudden, the fans started booing a little bit. They were killing him on social media, and he was... It, it affected him. And Julius's downfall to me was the major key. And the second biggest key was Derek Rose mm. uh, going down in December and never returning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I was the resident Randall apologist for the beginning half of the year for exactly that reason, you know, and our solution was to bring in, like you said, Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. Like that was the answer. We got rid of Reggie Bullock, which was, you know, by your accounts, by all other accounts, one of Julius's good friends last year. And he went to his hometown, right? And back in Dallas. So I'm sure he felt some sort of way about that. Alfred Payton, another guy, not a big Nick guy, but he was a big Julius Randle guy. They played together. He left. So what are your thoughts on, you know, just how the front office handled it, right? So we did have the miracle season. We got the almighty fourth seed. We got crushed by the Hawks. And, you know, it's time to take that next step. And so we brought in Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. Like, what, what was your thoughts on uh, hindsight 2020, right? Of course. But what were your thoughts on how Leon Rose and the front office handled their, you know, big offseason? Well, it was a complete disaster. I mean, we're talking about a team that had the most cap space in the entire NBA. And I'm the first one to write in September in my newsletter that Scott Perry wanted to make a bigger push at DeMar DeRozan. And William Wesley and Leon Rose were against it. Wesley said he's not a three-point shooter, and he's probably on being close to washed up. I mean, he's getting older. Uh, and he turned out to be a godsend in Chicago. Chicago spent more money than the Knicks spent on Evan Fortier, but it was well worth it. And the Knicks wasted their money on Nerland's Noel, Listen, you thought they had to bring Derrick Rose back. No one really expected him to break down, but we shouldn't be that surprised. 33 years old and with a long history of injuries. And I remember that night in Atlanta, or maybe it was in the afternoon, I can't remember, uh, the, when they got eliminated. Five minutes left in the game, I don't know if the camera showed it, but Derrick Rose limped off the court, and he yeah. was done for the night. They were getting yeah. blown out. Mm -hmm. And it carried over. He had ankle issues early in the season, didn't really want to make a big deal of it. And it just became uh, a, a shock. I mean, a shock that he never came back. In mid-December, he had that ankle surgery, and people were thinking he could be back in a month. So, um, but yeah, it, it just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with their free agent signings, including we didn't even mention Nerlens Noel. In his contract year, he stepped up big time when Mitchell went down with that broken hand and broken foot, and he was a key anchor to that defense. And this season, from the first day of training camp, the guy could not stay healthy. He, if Forget about only playing 25 games. He missed all of training camp in preseason. I mean, this guy just could not get on the court. And this was his 
history, but the Knicks still felt he was insurance against Mitchell Robinson uh, not being healthy this season. And ironically, Mitchell stayed healthy. And we'll see if they can re-sign him with a contract extension. Uh, I think there's still a possibility, even though I know he has a wandering eye. Yeah. Well, here's 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 the thing. I can't really blame Nerlens too much. Like as you said, he was the key last year, and I'm at the games. You're at the games. Nerlens no hell. Every single time he's on the sideline, he has ice packs on every joint. Right? He's holding the medicine ball, and he was you know going, and they had the extra room for COVID. Right. So he was just like walking around and doing his thing. So we knew what we were getting in the contract year. Right. You mentioned Mitch in his contract year. He had the best season he's ever had. He was the healthiest he's ever been. But at what point, you know, do the Knicks say, hey, we just did this with Nerlens. Like, what are, what's our thoughts here? Do we double the contract for Mitch? And now we have two centers on the books that we just don't know what's going on. You know, what are your thoughts on, on how the Knicks are approaching it? Yeah, well, the fact is that they would have given him the $55 million, you know, a month ago if they trusted Mitchell uh, more with his injuries and, you know, the work ethic has been a little bit of a question mark. Uh, you know, is he a winner? Is it, is, does he do enough things offensively? Could you survive with a starting center who can't shoot from 10 feet out? Uh, but he had a great year, and but it was his contract year. He's never been paid. What's going to be him? What is he going to be like once he gets this big contract? Uh, Noel... Again, could not stay healthy. But even against Atlanta, Noel had a bad ankle. Uh, but he played through it. He wasn't playing through anything this season. Uh, listen, it's a risk with Mitchell. But is Jericho Sims a starting center in this league? That's what they wanted to find out. Uh, after the All-Star break, they made Thibodeau play Jericho Sims a lot. And he looked okay. He looked like he's a good backup center. I don't know if he could be a 30, you know, he's foul prone. I don't know if he's a 33 minute a night center and he also doesn't shoot the ball. So they got four centers. I guess Taj could hit the three pointer now, but essentially <laughs> there were four centers on the roster who really don't shoot. And in this NBA, you know, you need shooters. And that's why Miles Turner will be of interest in the offseason. He's a stretch five. And if, if the Knicks lose Mitchell and they know they can get Miles, that might be part of the strategy. Uh, and Miles is a pretty good shot blocker too. I think the thing for me with Miles is more so like he's not truly like a guy that I could see working in the paint as much as like Mitch or even Jericho at this point. Like Mitch gives you just elite offensive rebounding. Sims seems to be a little bit more stronger. And even with Miles, you still have like some durability issues too. So I'm a little concerned when it comes to Miles. But do you think like – Speaking about like you talk about like potential moves in Mitchell Robinson, you talk about Nerlens Noel's contract. Like, do you see the Knicks pulling back on this roster because we have a lot of young guys, especially that we saw towards the end of the season, do well? Like you have Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, Sims, Quentin Grimes. Even though he got injured towards the end of the season, do you see the front office pulling back on some of the roster and trying to make some trades this off season and letting these young guys get some uh, more burn? Well, listen, the ultimate goal is to make a big trade, to get a superstar in here, hoping a Donovan Mitchell decides, okay, my run in Utah is over, and trade me. Trade me to New York. Naturally, Danny Ainge could do whatever he wants. Do the Knicks have the pawns to get Donovan Mitchell? 
it would have to be a piece centered around R.J. Barrett. Uh, I know Knicks fans are upset by that. I wrote a, yeah. my Knicks fans letter uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, R.J. Yeah. is going to have to be the centerpiece of that deal. Julius Randle, his trade value has slipped. So, listen, I know they like the young guys, and I know Leon was on the TV promoting the young guys, <laughs> and he has done a nice job with the 2020 and 2021 drafts. But are there any stars in that group? I don't think Obi Toppin is an all-star. I think he's going to be a very decent starting power forward. I don't see all-star in his future. So if their young guys have increased their trade value, terrific. Uh, that's a terrific development for the offseason. Because I know Leon, as he said Sunday night, he wants to be very flexible if there's an opportunity that comes up. And they do want to develop these young guys, but who knows if all of them will be back next season if the Knicks can pull off a trade. Even if it's first a, a good point guard like Mal- Malcolm Brogdon from Indiana, I think the Pacers are blowing it up. Maybe a Brogdon-Miles Turner situation mm-hmm. with Randall going back to the Pacers. I think Leon is going to try to make a big trade this offseason since he doesn't have any cap space. Yeah. Interesting. But you brought up Obi Toppin and I mean, we got to see more run of Obi because they, J- Julius got sidelined. So with Obi, you, you see Obi getting trade. You don't see Obi staying here and just kind of being the next guy to slide in uh, to the four, to the four position, even though like everyone, this is essentially what everyone's been clamoring for at this point. And everyone's now on the Obi train. We got everyone hyped for Obi Toppin. Even, even when Julius Randle's at the foul line, even when Julius is sitting on the bench, you get Obi Toppin chance. So you're telling me Obi's not part of this future here. And we even had Leon Rose come out today and say, you know, with that whole message to the fans saying, he, he emphasized the youth. So this is why I'm asking, like, is Obi Toppin going to be part of this future as well? I think they don't want to trade Obi, but I think they will look to see if Randall can be included in, in a blockbuster. But yeah, I think that Leon and Wes, I think they were thrilled with what Obi did uh, down the stretch of the season, especially the final five games. But the bigger thing was Thibodeau was super impressed. I mean, I've been told all along that Thibodeau had a lot of reservations about Obi, about his basketball IQ on the defensive end and even on offense, where he'd be a little out of position at times. I know Thibodeau wasn't happy earlier earlier in the season when Obi would get the ball behind the three-point line, he would never look at the basket. He'd just hand the ball off. He had lost his confidence. But the way he closed out this season, uh, he's a terrific player on the fast break, and he's a good passer, a good ball mover. He showed uh, his basketball IQ on the offensive end, but the biggest thing is he was hitting that three-point shot, and that changes everything because then players have to defend him at the three-point line and then Obi could, could get to the basket. And they started to utilize Obi's skills more. And without Randall, uh, you know, playing in those final five games, Obi was able to make a mistake and not worry about being taken out. As he said on more than one occasion in the last week of the season, he said the big difference is I'm not worried about making a mistake and coming out of the game. Because Thibodeau does not let you play through mistakes when you're a young player. You're either going to produce for me or you're not going to play. Yeah. So as, as much as it was a problem, what the Knicks did to Randall, <laughs> I really wasn't on board. If, if that's the narrative that you're going to take, then at the same time, 
it's our fault that Obi is this confident. It's our, you know, it's our fault that Obi was able to get these minutes, especially if the coach doesn't want him in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, we we kind of we kind of did this, which you know, for better or for worse, I I know it makes us look bad, right? Like we're booing Julius Randle twenty games in, but Obi going from like fifteen percent from three to you know shooting at a forty percent clip. Like that was something insane that we just all needed to see. So I'm curious as to, do you think that Mitch and Obi works? Like I just to close off this last, like this last segment, because I know we talked about resigning Mitch or, you know, Miles Turner even. And we, we talked about Randall getting shipped and, you know, maybe Obi there. When I'm watching Obi and Mitch, I just don't know if I could, like, in a playoff series, like, what is that going to do for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if Obi's hitting his three-point shot, Obi and Mitch works. But, again, most of this season, Obi was not hitting his three-point shot, so it wasn't a good combination. He had had no big man who could shoot the three. And Randall was struggling from the three-point range. I mean, one of the big issues with the Knicks was their big men can shoot three-pointers. Uh, so Obi shooting the three is huge, but I think it gives them great athleticism, the two of them, and they become a faster paced team. They're attacking the rim, putting pressure on the rim. Uh, Obi's not a great shot blocker, but you know, Mitchell d- is, yeah. so it's, it's not a bad combination. I, I think, uh, you know, and Jericho is a similar player to Mitchell, you know, not as good yet, but. Um, I think Jericho and Obi made a nice combination and they showed it in summer league. So I just feel they could become a faster paced team when Obi's the starting power forward, as opposed to Randall. Now, if you can't trade Randall and you're coming back with Randall and Toppin, the big question, and I wanted to see it in the final games. I wanted to see Julius and Obi play together, but Randall had shut it down and he didn't shut it down because he had a sore quad he had a sore quad but he would have played through it but he's in that final game that he actually played he's on the court and they're chanting obi toppin's name and julius is just not willing to play through pain if if that's going to happen so we shut it down and then we got robbed of seeing that experiment of obi and randall we've seen it some i think it was 100 minutes thibodeau thinks it's a terrible defensive alignment and he made the comment if we're going to commit to that, then we're committing to having to outscore the other team. And that's not a Thibodeau philosophy. So Thibodeau does not want to do it. But next season, if they're both back, they're going to have to do it, at least for 15 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, you brought up Tibbs. So I want, I want to know this because you you actually covered Tom Thibodeau since he was part of the New York Knicks, right? Like, <laughs> like. Both stints. Both stints. <laughs> yeah. So all the way back. Yeah. Have you seen have you seen like any changes in like Tibbs's like coaching philosophy since he was here back in like with the first of with Jeff Van Gundy to like now, or is he still the same guy that's like defensive oriented, just so rigid, like he's not going to adjust whatsoever because you know, us as fans, when we watch this game, we understand that defense is number one priority. And like when you're talking about even adding OB and, and Randall to a combination, it's because we're looking for the offensive side. We're looking just to get some more offense out there, especially for a team that struggled offensively to find any rhythm. And OB just kind of makes that easier just because he's able to leak out and transition and just get easy buckets. Do you think you see Tibbs like adjusting any like like being willing to have like we, there's this conversation of like 
Maybe you need an offensive coordinator for Tom Thibodeau. Do you see him adjusting in any of those type of standpoints? Because it kind of looks like Tibbs is like the guy and he's going to stay as the guy where it's like he's not going to rely on his uh, assistant coaches. He's the final decision maker. Yeah, he's very stubborn. And listen, he's at least when he's he's in his second stint back in New York, he, he knew a lot of the writers or some of the writers. So he was a little more relaxed. Like in press conferences, if you watch them, you know, sometimes he'll be joking around and smiling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that in Minnesota. He was very tight in Minnesota. Uh, and less, I guess he was in Chicago for a long enough time, so he got comfortable. But I, I, I've noticed he's definitely uh, a little more mellow when it comes with the, uh, to the writers. But in terms of his coaching style, stubborn. I mean, let's be honest. R.J. Barrett sprains his ankle with 19 seconds left in Denver when the Knicks are up 16 points. Why is he in the game? You'd think that Thibodeau would say, you know what, let me stop doing that. I mean, when when the game is over, let me just put in the bench and the young guys. Yet we're in Orlando maybe, what, nine days ago, whenever we were. And they're up 28 points, and Barrett is on the court. you know, Toppin was still on the court. Mitchell Robinson was on the court. It's like, Tom, why? You're, there's four minutes left in the game. Put in your young guys. I mean, yeah. he's so stubborn with his philosophy. And offensively, he does have certain, you know, certain principles. And you, he failed to use Obi Toppin the right way. And I know they didn't have a, a true point guard to really take advantage of OB going to the basket and, and getting him involved. But he never put in any plays for OB to accentuate his skills. And that was a frustrating part. I know the fans were really frustrated, but that's the only thing I could see where Thibodeau blew it with OB. And he, he didn't play OB enough because he didn't think he was a reliable three-point shooter and he, he made too many mistakes on the defensive end. But as it turned out, he kept trusting Randall, and Randall just did not have enough leadership on the court and enough shot making from the three point line to justify his minutes. Yeah, and that's kind of like the most frustrating part. Do you think Tom, you know, do you think Tom would have gone back and now played the young kids like if he could have, like gave him more trust or anything like that? Or do you think he was still stuck to the same way? Because next season, you see all, you see what IQ does, see what Obi does. Hopefully there's played, some adjustment to and let they that played happen. Well. They played well after the All-Star break, right? There was some mini – I know there was a those, you know, loss, 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 but they played well. And so, like, we were all screaming, oh, play the young guys. This is ridiculous. But they're, we're playing well. Like, like, what does Tom Thibodeau – what is he really thinking? Like, what's really going on with the Knicks? Like, we know what we're feeling, and you know what we're feeling. Like, what's actually happening? Well, Thibodeau – probably said it about a thousand times how well they've played since the all-star break, even though our record doesn't show it. Although I think they finished one game over 500 after the break. Uh, so the record, you know, listen, that's good enough. Actually this year, it wouldn't have been good enough for the 10th seed. <laughs> 43 and 39, you needed to be 43 and 39 to get the 10th seed. And obviously in the Western conference, the Knicks would have made the playoffs, but um Listen, at the All-Star break, we wrote this. There, there were a couple of at least two people in the front office that thought Thibodeau had lost the team and they thought they should make a change. 
and Leon Rose wanted nothing to do with it. He was sticking with his guy. And I think Tom really felt the pressure after the All-Star break to really, really turn it up a notch and play Jericho Sims because that's what management wanted. It was a more, I think, more cooperation between the front office and the coaching staff. And Tom kept talking about how well they played, I think because he was trying to convince his bosses, don't fire me. And he's safe. But we know that some people in the front office aren't great fans of Thibodeau. I really feel that if the Knicks have a really rough start to next season, uh, does Thibodeau last the season? I mean, it's a it's going to be a question mark. But I know Thibodeau didn't want to give specifics after the season on what went wrong, and he wants to, quote, dig deep into the, the factors. <laughs> but but he knows that Julius Randle was their engine, was their on-court leader last season, and this season it just disappeared. The morale of the team was different, and Julius's leadership was different. If you remember last season, and when he was making his all-star bid, Thibodeau talked all the time. I don't care about Julius's stats as much as the fact that he's impacting winning. And this season, Julius did not impact winning. He played too selfishly and did not make his teammates better. I mean, even to that point, you have Tom Thibodeau in the last press of the season say he's quoting like he's still a 20-10-5 guy, which is like, <laughs> really? Hey, this is this is quite a tune change for someone who doesn't really go by stats and is looking at like net rating and stuff like that and lineup changes. So interesting that he used those type of stats. But let's get on yeah. to let's let's move on to the next. Well, that guy became who's... a big spin. Leon Rose also said that, and Tom yes. said it. It became their thing. The twenty ten five thing became yes. a little bit of a catch catchphrase. <laughs> sure, and all the other guys who are. 2010 to five are much more effective when you look at that. <laughs> well, they're, well, they're not the least efficient player in the NBA. Uh, that's that's kind of how that goes. But it did open it up for RJ, right? It opened it up for RJ to be the leader. But but that was by accident. I mean, that's not what they hoped. The Knicks weren't looking to go into the season and have RJ Barrett be the face of the franchise. The, Julius Randle had signed the big contract extension as the all-star coming back. And they still wanted, you know, RJ to be the, the second guy. They're a better team if if Julius is playing like an all-star and RJ is the sidekick, as it yeah. was last season. RJ is a number one. I mean, you talk to scouts, it's like, if RJ is your number one, you're not going to be making the play-in tournament. That's for sure. So no max extension. Unless you're in conference. fair. But so, so no, no max extension. Huh? I mean... Obviously, when you put out that article, it got some traction, right, with Knicks fans. Like, what we have especially to one, especially one specific Knicks fan, right? <laughs> one of your biggest fans. <laughs> you know, even wrote a nice little musical on you. Uh, yeah, but beautiful. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So, for what we're sitting here, I mean, we just signed Randall, we lost him. We just signed Noel, we we lost him. We, you know, Derrick Rose, we lost him. Uh, as a Nick fan, the only thing we could grasp onto, right? IQ not playing, RJ, he, he's all we got. So it, when you when you when you're looking at me and you're like, hey, uh, we should not sign RJ to an extension. Like, what what else do I have? Like Grimes? <laughs> is, is that really what I'm you know what I'm looking for? 
Well, see, that that was the perception of what I wrote, but it's not what I wrote. Yeah. My point of the story was is he worth the is he worth the rookie max of $181 million that John Morant signed and that Darius Garland is about to sign when he's eligible? Uh, and John Morant will will sign. So I'm looking at his analytics and his percentages, and he actually went down in, in his field goal percentage and his three-point uh, shooting percentage, his free throw percentage. His effective field goal percentage is 46%. That's not good. Yeah. So that was my point. A volume shooter has got to have higher percentages if you're going to win. And he showed so many great things. I mean, he's amazing going to the basket. He's such a bull. He has such a high motor. Teams have to double him. But too much, too many times he's forcing stuff and he's turning the ball over or he has a shot blocked or, you know, he's trying to fight through traffic. And that's why at the end of the season, there was a few times that Thibodeau, he's not criticizing RJ. He's trying to say we need this from him next season. He needs to spray the ball when he's doubled and triple teamed. He's got to see the double coming and get the and get rid of it. Spray the ball. That's his big expression. Spray the ball. And if RJ learns to do that more next season, he could be so much more dangerous and so much more of a winning player. And his percentages will be much better and his assist total as well. You know, the thing with like RJ, I think the thing when we talk about rookie Mac is extensions is that we can go right over to the Denver Nuggets and we look at Michael Porter Jr., a guy who had, yeah, like a bubble, like ha- like a qu- like not even a quarter season. Like he just had an entire Orlando bubble experience, a decent one full healthy season with the Nuggets, gets the extension. But we all knew that this guy is an injury prone, but he still gets it. And it's like you look at RJ and everything that he has had to go through being in New York, like the first season – it was such a clunky roster. I mean, you had RJ, you had Mook, you had Bobby Portis. It was it was even spaced out for him to actually like truly operate. Next season, we the last season we see him flourish and become this shooter, especially from uh, three point land. He has like the mid range at the foul line with the snake dribble, and then this season we can go back to be like, well, is it really? He wasn't expected to be the number one option. Like he's taking on a bigger responsibility because his running mate Julius Randle decided to for lack of a better word, crap the bed this season. And now it's all back on RJ to go do something. So I think for like fans, we're like, this kid's gone through so much where we haven't really given him a good situation to actually flourish, but we see that work ethic. We see the grit that we're willing to like, accept that if he gets the max, especially for him wanting to be here, which we haven't had a player since I guess mellow, like being like a true superstar who like came over and said, I want to be part of New York. And we hadn't had someone before that really like only Patrick Ewan who we drafted. Only practice for the Knicks. Right in the offseason, in the offseason workouts, he only he only uh, worked out for the Knicks. He, he was saying he wants to play for the Knicks. He was he was you know playing Duke basketball in the Garden. Right, they were joking around, you know, about oh, Jimmy oh, Kimmel was yeah. joking with the Knicks hat, all that type of stuff too. So I think it's like we finally have someone that really just wants to be a Nick, and it's like playing forty minutes in Orlando. He's, good. he's actually, like, <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> and outside of the statistics, like you just watch, like, I think the, like the elite trade of just like driving to the hoop. It's like. Yeah, we want this guy. Like, it, it's like we'll figure it out. No, he's only twenty-one. The, fa- the fans love him. They're chanting his name on the road at the Garden. Uh, he's a great spokesman for the team. And as you said, he wouldn't work out for Memphis. Memphis had the number two pick. 
didn't, uh, Memphis wanted to work him out. I mean, they were leading to John Moran anyway. But once RJ, they knew RJ didn't even want to be there, so it was a no-brainer. And it was, the you know, the right pick, obviously. But, yeah, listen, all those factors are good reasons to, you know, lean toward a to a, to a rookie max. You could also let him become a restricted free agent. You have perfect uh, leverage. I mean, if someone – you match any offer. So, like, you don't have to uh, give him the rookie max. But the Knicks are – they're going to be so over the cap uh, – you know, people even talking about should we give Cam Reddish an, uh, uh, an extension? It's like, no, I mean, the guy hasn't proven anything. But I, I just think that they have to really dig or dig deeper before automatically saying this guy is is a $181 million player. Uh, yeah, we got and, you. We and got you can see another season with him and still sign him as a restricted free agent. It would be a little more money, but at least they know, oh, this guy's going to be an all-star. We're scared of the Mitch situation, honestly, right? We did this. We, we played the same game, and we, did, I, I, from my perspective, and I, I think we just want to kind of lock down our stars early, show them that they're appreciated, you know. I, I, but I know, of course, we, we have no salary cap, but that jumps to one of the guys who we have for cheap, and that's IQ. And IQ was terrible in the beginning of the year. I know the narrative is, oh, my goodness, why isn't he starting? Start Like, here at this podcast we're watching we're actually watching the games like we know iq was horrible in the beginning of the year and as much as we all yell about alec burks he was our catalyst last season like and there was like a nine game stretch where we alec burks was the entire Knicks team he was the reason why we got the fourth seed right so my question is was the end of the season fool's gold when it comes to iq like i i know triple point you know 30 point triple doubles a, a little bit excessive but you know where where, where is the team's you know, perspective on IQ. Can he be our starting point guard, right? As you said, we have trouble with the cap. He's free, right? Can he start next year? Or are we looking, you know, for Tyus Jones, Malcolm Brogdon, as you mentioned, you know, Jalen Brunson, who's rumored. Like, what What are your thoughts about IQ there? The difference between IQ and Obi is IQ did it last season. I mean, he was playing more off the ball, but, you know, he was shooting well from the three-point range, from three-point range. And, you know, had some really great, great moments and has always been a great free throw shooter. So it's not like all of a sudden he's been playing well for like 10 games. I mean, he had he was second team all rookie. Uh, the thing with IQ at this Las Vegas Summer League, they started the experiment at point guard and he couldn't hit a three pointer. Oh. <laughs> and, and I kept asking people, is like, is it because he's maybe playing point guard and he's out of rhythm? He's not getting the ball the same way at the three point line. And, you know. IQ had asked him, and he says, IQ just said I'm just missing shots. Mm -hmm. But it took him a while, I think, to get comfortable at the point guard position. He's become a better playmaker. I honestly feel good about where he is as a point guard. I think coming out of the draft, we know he fell to 25. He didn't fall. He was going to be an early second-round pick if the Knicks didn't take him at 25. And that's because he didn't have a position. They didn't see him as a point guard. Uh, coming out of Kentucky. He wasn't a playmaker at Kentucky. And I think the growth from IQ, and especially he's such a hard worker. This kid talked the other day about going into the Tarrytown gym <laughs> at one in the morning on Christmas night after having Christmas dinner at Obi Toppin's house just to <laughs> shoot. And that's after having a Christmas afternoon, a Christmas matinee. So the kid's such a hard worker, and that's why the Knicks brass is so excited that he's going to just keep getting better. He loves the game. And, yeah, is he a good enough defender? 
No, he's got to get stronger, and he admitted that. But I think there's potential to be a starting point guard. Is it next season? I mean, I hope they could get an established point guard to start. But as a fallback, it's not not out of the question now that IQ could be their starting point guard next season because of how hard he works. And Thibodeau said after the season, those guys that work that hard, we know they're getting better. But isn't that like the concern? Like we talk about the money issue, right? So say if you have to go do a sign and trade with someone like Jalen Brunson, who's looking for like 20 plus million annually, and then you have someone in IQ where he's already on your books. And as John mentioned, he's he's cheaper, like much cheaper than having to pay 20 million. Don't you think it'd be better for the Knicks just to move with IQ moving forward and not even play that fallback option? Because say if you do sign someone like Jalen Brunson, and this is like, this is just like Nick's dealing with anybody that we try to sign that we spend a lot of money. It's like, oh my God, what if they're not the same person that they were on the other team? So isn't it just better just to move with like, all right, why don't we just continue to develop this guy? He was playing close to 30 minutes towards the end of the season. Let him run full ramp with the, the point guard position because then even after next season, if he even if he struggles, it can kind of give you clarity uh, if you need a point guard going into the next season. Don't you think the Knicks should just do that instead? Listen, if they could get Jalen Brunson as an unrestricted free agent and, you know, not give up much in a sign and trade, I think you've got to do it. I mean, Jalen's on a, a team that's the fourth seed in the Western Conference uh, and really has learned a lot under Jason Kidd. I think he's an upgrade over IQ right now. But listen, you make a good point. It's just, again, he didn't do it for 82 games. Uh, as you said, he really struggled early in the season, shooting and everything. And his minutes were reduced because of it. Uh, it's just how much do you value late in the season when teams are kind of resting players for the playoffs and other teams are just tanking? I mean, the Knicks were playing teams that just weren't fielding their first unit. Like they were on, you know, they just weren't the same team as earlier in the season. So, it's it's might be tough to gauge, but listen, at, at least it's part of the conversation. Yeah. I think three weeks ago, no one would ever have dreamed. Oh yeah, IQ will be their starting point guard. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Even a, ludicrous, <laughs> a ludicrous statement, but now we can at least say they don't get it if they don't get Brogdon. If Jalen resigns with Dallas, hey, maybe IQ and Derrick Rose. You know, with a little Miles McBride sprinkled in, maybe we could get by. But they have to make some upgrades. And, you know. Look at that optimism. Upgrade. Optimism from Berman, right? Everyone's like, look yeah, at well, that. I know. There's <laughs> got to be upgrades. There's got to be more. There's got to be upgrades. And maybe it's at the center position. Uh, maybe it's, the you know, Fournier, as good a three-point shooter as he was, he was sort of a minus player defensively. He just is not a Thibodeau type of guy. And Thibodeau didn't often play him in the fourth quarter. He didn't trust his defense. So there's got to be upgrades on this roster. And obviously they need Derek Rose. He's under contract. He's got to be healthy next year. Poor Evan Fournier, man. Break starts his record, doesn't play in the fourth quarter, and we just don't even care. Poor guy. And he won the first game for the Celtics. Like that was a crazy game. Poor guy. But let me, uh, last thing on this, on this season, I, you, we, we talk about, you know, it fell off. We don't know what happened. You mentioned, you know, IQ wants to shoot around, you know, after Christmas dinner, 
there was this whole narrative last season about, you know, the Knicks led by Julius Randle taking the Kobe Bryant philosophy of every time you land on the road, you find a gym. I don't care if it's two in the morning, right? You finally find the high school gym, you get in there and you have to shoot around so you can be ready for the, for the next, you know, the next game. Was that happening this year? I, I know it was not mentioned at all, right? COVID went down this year as opposed to last season. So like, do you think that had any? Was that happening? Number one, and if yes, if no, like, do you think that had any effect on the squad? Yeah, it was not happening as much with Julius Randle. One of the things about last season that was so uh, unique was when they were on the road, they were together all the time. They were not allowed to go out to a restaurant, you know, with friends or leave the hotel essentially. So. You know, you land and you go to the gym because what else are you going to do? Sit in the hotel and do nothing? So there was such a bond created by last season's team because they were all trapped in the hotel together on the road. But now, you know, Julius could go out and, you know, with family or do whatever he wanted. So the, the that camaraderie was just not there this season. Uh, it, last season, it was talked about all the time how close-knit this club was. But we didn't hear a lot of that. And what I did hear was that Julius was aloof and he wasn't a leader. And I think he just soured on the season once the fans got on him. And, you know, it's it's not easy to play in New York. And head coaches like Mike D'Antoni, he was always disappointed in the Garden as a home court advantage because he knew when things got ugly, the fans would start booing. and it, and it hurt the team's psyche. And he just didn't understand why the fans would boo. He's from, you know, you know, he was coaching in Phoenix yeah. where the fans don't boo at all. So he was a little naive. But even Fisdale thought it was tough to be, a, be the home team at the Garden because other t- players come into the Garden and want to put on a show. And, you know, sometimes Knicks fans actually get into it when – you know, Steph Curry is lighting it up, and yeah. earlier in December, when Steph hit broke the record, you know, yeah, the I was record there. we stopped the whole game. You, <laughs> this game. The garden was going nuts every time yeah. he touched the ball. I can't believe it. If I, I was a Knicks player, I'd be like, "Wow!" I mean, there, yeah. there were a lot of Warriors fans there, but I but think some Knicks, Knicks was a lot of us. Yeah, there's a lot of so, us. Um, the tickets were reselling for like seven hundred dollars. That's us. Yeah, that's not people well, coming from crazy. Golden State. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was crazy, but uh, anyway, last season was unique in the fact that it was empty half the season, and then nineteen hundred uh, the rest of the season, and there were no booze. I, it was the pan- height of the pandemic. Still, everyone was more charitable. There was no booing. They were just happy to be at a basketball game. Uh, watching a live event. And this season, the booze started early and often. So, What do you think the Knicks fans get wrong the most? Listen, there's another incident that has always bothered me. Um, it was Frank Nilekina, uh Dennis Smith Jr., when they were kind of fighting for playing time. Yeah. It was two seasons ago, and I remember... Dennis Smith Jr. bringing the ball up court and the fans were chanting for Frank. And I was like, wow, how is a player supposed to play at a high level when your own fans are chanting for another guy to go onto the court? And, and I think Dennis was shaken by that and he never really recovered and he was soon traded 
uh, to Detroit in the Rose deal. But I just don't get it. And even when Julius is on the court and you're chanting for Obi, it, it just doesn't help. I mean, listen, I'm not going to criticize Knicks fans because they are the most passionate in the league uh, because there's been so much losing over the last 21 years and they're still as fiercely uh, into it as ever. I mean, like the Nets fans, I mean, there. I think there's a lot of bandwagon Nets fans now, but there's, there's, there's just no comparison. Uh, and listen, there's not enough Nets fans in town, but even the yeah. Nets fans that are in town, they're just not passionate like the Knicks fans. And, but I, I feel they're a little overzealous when it comes to chanting someone's name who's on the bench when another guy is trying to, you know, play to a high level. What about Mello? Like Mello was here and I feel like Mello, cause Mello got a lot of heat as well. Like there's some booze. He got the <laughs> cheers. Like we saw like that kid, Rashid Wallace team, uh, Raymond Felton, that team was like, everyone was happy during that season. But then later on, Mello got a lot of heat. How do you think Mello was able to handle that? I mean, you were there for that too, Berman. Yeah. Well, See, I feel that when Mello had his uh, war with Phil Jackson, I think almost all the fans were signing with Mello. So, uh, yeah, he took some heat. But listen, he got injured, you know, one season and he missed a lot of clutch shots. I thought the fans treated him okay. Uh, honestly, I, I, I think they were very happy that he wanted to be in New York mm. and he forced a trade to New York and he's from New York originally. Uh, considering that I feel he underperformed here, I, I didn't think he got a raw deal with the fans. And listen, I think someone asked me on a podcast earlier today about Melo next season as a Nick. I think he's got one season left. I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, obviously, Leon Rose is his former agent. He loves Carmelo. Carmelo loves New York. They could use some veteran leadership. Maybe he could have an effect on Julius Randle. Who knows? He's going to be a free agent. I don't think he wants to come back to Lakerland. I mean, this was a disaster. <laughs> I don't think that was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. right. And he still was hitting his three-point shots. I mean, he didn't affect winning, but, you know, he still could play a little bit. So, who knows? I mean, uh, he's not going to look for a Monk, lot of money. Man. Hopefully he brings Malik Monk with him. I'll, I'll take both yeah. of those guys. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty good shooter. The, the Lakers situation is so mystifying. It really is. I mean, how that team collapsed. And it'll be very interesting to see if Mark Jackson, who has not gotten an interview in years, if uh, the Lakers uh, bring him in. Obviously, LeBron uh, would be the uh, person ultimate with the GM. The ultimate yes. GM, man. Good for him. Good for him. It will be interesting to see if LeBron hires Mark Jackson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's awesome. It's awesome. If I was him, I would do that too. Hire whoever I want. Mark, before it we. It might be worth a gamble. Yeah. Mark, before we get you out of here, we want to ask you like a few more questions about your your tenure covering the beat. So how's it been just being a beat reporter for like the New York Knicks for such a long time? Like you've seen it all. You've you've legitimately seen it all. So like how can you how do you describe that this entire tenure, just like covering this team? Yeah, well, 22 seasons are in the book. And um congratulations, by the way. Well, That's awesome. Yeah, awesome, man. Especially as an for the Knicks. So like, God bless your health. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, the only regret is all the losing. Uh, it, it has been so many losing seasons. I took over a team that had just made the NBA Finals. 
the first season they went to the conference finals and then Ewing, you know, obviously demanded a trade and uh, they made a bad trade and they probably should have kept him and got in the cap space. And so there's been so many bad decisions I've had to uh, write through. Uh, but listen, again, it's just an amazing experience because the fans, again, are so passionate. They love this team to death. Even through all the losing, they're still reading the next stories. They care about the 15th man. Uh, you know, I don't know how it is covering the Indiana Pacers when they're not playing well. There's no interest. But, uh, no, it, it's great. And, like, the beat writers, have, I've been with so many different ones uh, across the years. Naturally, I saw it has been on the beat for a few years, but it was always fun with him. And Alan Hahn used to be on the beat. Uh, now he's at MSG Network. And now we got a very good group uh, with Steph Bondi and Begley and Fred Katz. And, and you know, those yep. are guys who are on the road and we're taking cabs together and we're eating out or on the planes. So, you know, those, you know, those are guys, even though they're kind of competitors, those are kind of like your, your coworkers really. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it's been a, a, a thrill, honestly. And I can't believe 22 seasons. If you can really believe it, it, it feels like it, it flew by. I mean, I can't believe wow. that 22 seasons are in the books. It's just, it feels like, it was yesterday where I was doing the Islanders when Greg Gallo, the former sports editor, called me up and said, we need you to do the Knicks. And I was like, all right. I mean, I love the Islanders. I'm from Long Island. But, you know, I knew it was a big promotion. That's awesome. Well, congratulations again. But, like, congratulations on 22 years, Mark. That's that's quite an awesome, like, feat just to be covering a team for that long, especially one that's just been so down and bad for, for most of that time. <laughs> Out of all of your times covering the New York Knicks, where would you say, if we, can, if we can get, like, three ranks, where are the three favorite times covering the Knicks? What would they be? Three favorite well, I seasons, I would say. Right. I know it's so recent, um, but I will say that that game one of the playoff against Atlanta when the garden was finally packed and 40 minutes before tip off. And I guess you guys were there maybe that night and the fans were chanting, let's go next. Yeah. <laughs> and they were chanting Trey, Trey young, you know, the Trey yeah, young. Balding. Well, I can, well, I can, balding, I can yeah. scream. I can scream that. Right. That was well, funny. We, can, we can yell it. Yeah. <laughs> and then a more profane chant after that. But sure. it was it just felt like the pandemic was over. And it turned out it wasn't over. But it felt that night that the pandemic had finally ended to have. And I don't even remember. I think the fans were not. It wasn't mandatory to wear masks. I can't even remember. But it was just so loud. It was such a great first game. And it just it, that is like it, I know it's so recent. So it feels like a big memory right now. But it was it was great. And that, that 2012-13 season, uh, the 54-win season, was just yeah. such a ride. It was such a fun ride. I thought they were going to the finals. And the Indiana series, you know, mm. they they blew it against Boston. If they would have not <laughs> lost, if they swept Boston, J.R. Smith doesn't get suspended. But Boston forced them to two more, two, two more games. And then they only had one day of preparation for Indiana. But I really thought that I was a team going to the NBA Finals, and I loved covering that team. And insanity, of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I was doing 12, 15 radio interviews a day. <laughs> I mean, that month, 
it was probably five weeks, but I mean, just, it was like, I felt like it was in a movie. I yeah. honestly felt like, all right, this is a Disney movie. And the Toronto uh, game straight up felt fake. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like I was in the middle of a, a Disney movie. It was such a wonderful experience and sorry. And it, it ended so soon. And I blame Carmelo a little bit. He came <laughs> back. And he, he, I remember that all-star game uh, before the all-star game. We we're talking to Carmelo. Uh, Lynn was invited uh, to play in one of the uh skills contest i can't remember what jeremy was invited for but carmelo was holding media availability and the first five questions were about jeremy lynn <laughs> and by the fifth question he was rolling his eyes and saying aren't gonna ask about me and i knew right then and there it's over it, it wasn't gonna work out great between carmelo and jeremy oh man do you, do you have a good relationship with these players i mean it can't go unnoticed. I mean, three players this year on the roster, they all had comments to you, right? Burning. Like, relax. relax <laughs> like every, everyone's yeah. giving you like so, something, right? RJ or whoever. Like, do you have an actual good relationship and you guys are just like, you know, kind of just playing around? Yeah, there's some playing around. Listen, it's, it's been a frustrating season, but when we're in the locker room, like Mitchell, like, you know, the cameras are never on, but we're in the locker room. Mitchell was always busting my ball, cool. yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Okay. So, like, this is just a carryover. Now we're on Zoom. Everything's being filmed. So people actually see it on camera when it's been in the locker room for years. Everyone's yeah. busting each other's balls. You're around each other so much. But uh, the Julius thing was a little tense, I, I will say, in Los Angeles. Uh, that was before a Lakers game, I think. And I had brought up the trade rumors. <laughs> <laughs> that change that I just didn't expect, and uh, he he was angry, and even off there was more to it that you guys okay, didn't yeah. see. He was so, sure, uh, yeah. So Randall, Randall has it out for everyone. Yeah, I got you. I got that. That 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 that's refreshing to know because you're going to be in the locker room next year, right? So hopefully, you know <laughs> that, that'll build back up, and that'll be much better going going forward. So we're looking. Yeah, forward to it's that. been very tough not being in the locker room, but we're, we're hearing very good things that Adam Silver is softening up, and we'll, we'll be back in there. Awesome, that's great to hear. And then, I guess, like the last question I have just for you as like a journalist, what is, what is the day of Mark Berman like covering <laughs> the New York? Like, how does that go? Like an entire like because I can't picture it's like a normal nine to five where it's like all right, wake up, go there, you're there, and do all this stuff. Well, what what is like a beat report? Like, how how does that life go? <laughs> Well, I will say that uh, when we're on the road, uh, you're working pretty much all day. So mm. we'll be, say, in Indiana, and we're going to the 10.30 a.m. shoot-around uh, to talk to the coach and a couple of players. And then we you know, walk back to the hotel, and we're writing for the web and for our early editions and maybe have a lunch. But before you know it, we're back at the arena, you know, two and a half hours before the game to talk to the coach again and so uh, it's, it's very time consuming and the travel has become, especially during the pandemic, the travel is even more difficult uh, mm. with the security lines. It's, it's, it's a rugged beat. And, you know, at 22 years, I, 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 I don't know how I've done it, but uh, you need a lot of coffee. Uh, I drink <laughs> probably six cups of coffee a day. <laughs> and very about the oh, same wow. topic. Yeah. Well, on game days, probably because you, <laughs> you're you're drinking coffee at 10 p.m. to get through the, up, the part yeah, of the yeah. start. But um, yeah, it it it's it's a rugged beat. Uh, 
But listen, baseball is even tougher. The spring training days, you know, you get into the ballpark at eight, eight in the morning and, you know, you're there to early evening. So, um, yeah, it, it's a rugged beat. But, and, you know, writing about the same subject for 22 years, you know, sometimes there's no great story to write that day, but you still have to write it. So, yeah. and we have more space than any newspaper in New York and maybe in the country. So I'm writing two, three stories four stories sometimes, you know, for early editions, and then that gets subbed out for later stories. So uh, it's a lot of work. I know a lot of people, you know, say, oh, I want to be a sports writer, but you got to put in the work. Wow. Well, there you go. And there you well, have it. So anyone out there who's aspiring to be a, a beat writer, especially in the New York uh, landscape, God bless you. Six cups of coffee. I, <laughs> What's your favorite type of type of coffee? Are you going Starbucks? Are you going Dunkin'? Is it home? What, what what are we doing here? I mean, I love Starbucks, but I like those independent coffee shops more. And I there we go. The road, I'll go to a coffee shop and and you know after a shoot around, I'll find an independent coffee shop, get a couple of cup couple of cups, and and write my early story. So basically, coffee has saved me for twenty two years. There's no doubt about it. I could not have done it without a strong cup of coffee and many of them. And now what Berman is not, is not directly saying, he's saying football writers got it the easiest. <laughs> we all know that. You hear that, Cos? Cos, you hear that? I've been with the for a while, Cos, yeah. but he's, tell, he's talking to you. <laughs> yeah. So Cos uh, has been on the show? No, 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 no. Yeah, we follow all you guys. We follow all you guys. Yeah, yeah we, you guys. Uh, we're working on the, the Jets draft is coming, so it's the busiest time. So we try not to, you know, get in the way there. So we had, uh, we'll, work, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. We actually had DJ Bienemy from uh, the Daily News on uh, last year, right before, right after the Jets draft. So we uh, we try to make sure uh, we, we get the beat yeah. writers in and make sure yeah, they get we were informed that after the draft is the is the right time. <laughs> so we're <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you should reach out to Kaz. He, he likes. Well, he does a lot of uh, FAN stuff. I think he's sure. still. A regular contributor there, but yeah, Kaz uh, likes to go on uh, the podcast. Oh, don't worry, we'll be reaching. We'll be reaching out to Kaz. We're reaching out with your blessing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mark, thank you for hopping on. We really appreciate it. Uh, We really appreciate your time. Thank you for giving us all this time. And for everyone out there that's listening, please let them know where they can find you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, nypost.com and then all the newsstands in New York and New Jersey and Florida and even California. And uh, the Twitter. And Albany, Buffalo. <laughs> but, uh, listen, the, my next newsletter is the new thing. We started yes. this season and it's behind a paywall, but it's well worth it. We got some, you know, extra information that uh, we did a thing on Donovan Mitchell today on what it would take and how Dwayne Wade, a minority owner for the Utah Jazz, could be a factor in keeping Donovan uh, happy in uh, Utah for the long term. We'll see. Uh, a lot of people think if if Utah is bounced out by the Mavericks in the first round, that Donovan might feel it's time uh, to divorce from uh, Rudy Gobert. It's an interesting series because Luca's injured and Brunson trying to get paid. So you know yeah. if he if, you know like if, if the Mavs do win and it's Brunson's fault, then he's he's out. You know he's yeah. out for the Knicks. So we'll right. see. No, Knicks fans should pay attention to that series. If there's one series besides Brooklyn to to check out, it's uh, Mavericks versus uh, the Jazz. That's for sure. There's a lot of moving pieces in that one that all Knicks fans should have their eyes on. But, Mark, thank you once again. To our listeners, please make sure to follow Mark on Twitter. Please make sure to keep reading his articles. I mean, I'm sure you have 
if you're a Knicks fan, you're tuning into us. We're just so fresh and young into this, but give them to well, the newsletter before, before we even heard of us. So please make sure to keep following Berman. He does a great job over the New York Post. I've been reading Mark, Mark since I've been a Knicks fan, literally. Day so, I was born. We bro. appreciate you. Coming. Day I was born. We appreciate you coming here. Thank, so thank you. you very much, Mark. Alex, John, thanks so much. I had a great time. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. And to all of our listeners out there, you know what to do. If you make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, we're on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. All right. <laughs> please make sure to do that. Also, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We're on all available audio listening platforms, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, Alexa, Stitcher, you name it, we are there. And last and certainly not least, please make sure to check out Winning Picks Weekly and the YouTube. Just go over Nick's comment, Jets comment, ETC, period. Subscribe. Hit that notification bell. That way you know when a new episode drops. Make sure to hit the like button and comment. All right, everyone. That's another Nick's episode for the Nick's Jets, etc. podcast. We out. Let's go, Nick's.